Alright, so we are in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. Notice what it says. As ye have therefore received Christ the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Folks, pay attention to these words right here. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Beware. That's a warning. You should pay attention when you see warning signs, especially anywhere. You should especially pay attention in the Bible. And he said, Beware, lest any man should spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, traditions of men. He specifically brought up as ye have learned Christ, Jesus the Lord. So walk in Him. And then he goes on to say, in verse 9, For in Him, speaking of Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And what I want to preach about tonight is, or this morning, is the doctrine of the Godhead. We've been going through just the basic doctrines of the Scripture, and this is another important one, the doctrine of the Godhead. Now, what does that word Godhead mean? Well, the definition is Godship, deity, divinity, divine nature or essence applied to the true God and to uh, heathen deities, or a deity in person, a god or goddess. And so we are talking about the one true God today. We are talking about the God of the Bible, the God of the Scriptures, the Lord God Almighty, the one true God. And notice how it says, in Him, talking about Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And that word fullness, it means repletion or completion. That is what fills uh, uh, or what is filled, which is to fill up. And so Jesus Christ, He is the focal point. He is what we look to when we want to know about God, when we want to learn about God. And so what I want to preach today, is, uh, when it comes to this doctrine of the Godhead, and what I think it's important we understand, it's, a, it's completely appropriate for us to want to learn more about God, to learn more about who He is, but the God that we serve is a God that without a doubt is beyond our human comprehension. But that doesn't mean there's not plenty in the Scriptures that we can learn from or that we should learn from about Him. But when it comes to the subject of the Godhead, there is a lot of confusion and disagreement out there. And I believe there's two main reasons there's a lot of confusion when it comes to God. And one is because one man is trying to comprehend what cannot be comprehended. The Bible does say in Psalms 89.5, And the heaven shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. For who in heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? When you picture God, whatever you can picture in your head, just understand you got it wrong. Because everything that you can picture in your mind is based on something that you have seen in His creation, and God is outside of this creation. God, we can only think and picture the things that we have seen or images that are based off things that we've seen and understand there's nothing that can be compared to God. So, we're all going to get it wrong. We're all going to get it wrong when it comes to trying to picture God. It says in Isaiah 57.15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth, Eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. 
So he dwells in eternity. Has anybody been in eternity yet? Have you seen it yet? No, you have not. So guess what? You're not going to be able to describe it to me. So just don't even try. It says in 1 Timothy 6.15, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, talking about Jesus, who only hath immortality, watch this, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. So understand, Jesus Christ, He's the only one with immortality. He dwells in the light that no man can approach unto, that no man has seen. Now, try to explain that to me. You can't. Guess why? Because you haven't seen it. How do we describe something that we have not seen? How how do we describe something that no man has seen? We can't do it. And this light that he dwells into, it's something that is, it's, you know, though the, uh, we just sang the song, though the eyes of sinful men thy glory may not see, thankfully we're shielded from it because if we were to see God in all his glory, it would kill us. But because we can't even approach to that light, we are foolish to think that anyone can describe what is in the light. But let me tell you something, we do know that Jesus dwells in that light. We, we do know that, but I'm not going to be able to explain all these things to, to you. So just a bonus point. When somebody asks you a question about God and you don't know the answer, did you know it's okay for you to just say, I don't know? Did you know there's a lot about God we don't know? Nobody has the Godhead figured out. If no man can approach unto that light, if no, no man has even seen that light other than Christ, why would someone pretend they can describe what is in that light? And when people start asking certain details about the appearance or the anatomy of God, just say you have no idea. Because they don't either. I remember when I was in school, we had this little kid in the school. He was, he was so funny. You could ask him any question and he would give you an answer as if he knew it. And the stuff that he would come up with, it was hilarious. Because he would, he would just make up weird stuff right there on the spot. He had an imagination. And a lot of preachers are like that too. It's just like, hey, it's okay. I get it, you're a pastor. Just say, I don't know. If the Bible tells us no man has seen God, no man can even approach that light, why would you try to describe what's in that light? You can't do it. So just say, I don't know. I can't wait to find out one of these days though. But today is not that day. So that's one of the reasons people get confused is we have a bunch of eggheads, a bunch of guys with doctor before their name out there trying to describe what can't be described. And then they demand that we conform to their traditions. That whatever they've come up with as the smartest guys, they de- people demand that we echo what they say. But it's like, but they don't know what they're talking about either. So it's okay for us to just say we don't know. So there's, there's one of the reasons for a lot of confusion. Another reason for the confusion is feigned words. Okay? And I preached a, mess- a couple messages a while back on feigned words. These are fictitious words, made up words. But listen, God is not the author of confusion. And where we are having confusion today, it's not a result of what the Scriptures say, but it's a result of what so-called scholars are coming up with and demanding people conform to. The traditions of men. These are what's causing confusion. This is what people are demanding people conform to. And in this message, what I want to do, I want to use the words of God to teach us about God and who He is. What if we did that? What if we just use God's words today? 
I don't want to use feigned words to describe God to you. I don't, I shouldn't, I don't want to use words to describe God that He didn't use about Himself. Let's just let, let's let God use His words to put thoughts in our minds. And let's see what we come up with. So, uh, what are some of these feigned words? Well, and understand, I am not declaring all extra biblical words since. I, I don't believe that. Don't straw man me on this. I'm not saying it's not possible to make up a word and to attach a good definition to it that's biblical. But all the, you know, all those things, it's possible to do that. But I believe when it comes to this subject, the biggest problem we have is striving about words that aren't in the scripture. And so the biggest word too that I, I, I intend to only allow this word to come out of my mouth one time in the message, and that is the word Trinity. I'm only going to use that word this one time. Did you know it's possible to give that word a definition that fits Scripture or doesn't contradict Scripture? It's possible to do that, but at the same time, since God didn't use that word to describe Himself, you know, I think I'm going to go elsewhere to try to find out what I'm supposed to know about God. Let's use His words. Let's preach on those words. And the word that a word that I like that we're seeing in the Scripture is that word Godhead. Okay, and so. Because here's another question too. Is it possible to make up a word and attach a definition to it that accurately describes God? Well, not if we can't describe Him. Not if it's beyond anything man has seen and can understand. We can't do, we can't do that. So we're talking about the doctrine of the Godhead. So what is going to happen if we talk about the word Godhead? What's going to happen if we talk about this word that God used? Where will it lead us? What will the study of this word do? Where will the words of God surrounding that word take our minds? What will it reveal to us about God? That's what I want to try to do today. So let's learn about the Godhead. It's only We only see this word in the Bible three times, but it's very enlightening the three places where we see it. Look at Acts chapter 17 and verse 29. Let's see what it says in Acts 17, 29. It says, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's devices. Now, why would anybody think that? Well, these people that Paul's talking to on Mars Hill, they have these images everywhere. They have these images, these statues that they've built that look like men, and they're saying that these things are God, putting thoughts in people's minds, this is what God looks like. You know how many people think God is an old man with a long white beard? Sitting up on a throne in heaven? Where does that come from? Hey, where does that come from? Hey, Brother Sean gave me a Catholic Bible. It, it's got a picture in there. It's got, you know, God the Father sitting on a throne. It's got God the Son, Jesus, sitting on a throne. And it's got a dove in the middle. And they're all crowning Mary in front of them. She's kind of like center stage in there. Hey, that's not biblical. Second of all, it's really not biblical because we see multiple thrones. Second of all, it's not biblical too because Jesus is on God's left hand in that picture too. You think they could have got that part right. But, but either way, that's, you know, the, these things, they, they put thoughts in our mind. But here's what we learned from Paul. Because look what he said in verse 30. And at the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So we're not supposed to think the Godhead is made like what, how man portrays it. The Godhead is not like it is portrayed by man. What has man come up with to describe who God is? Guess what? That's, they got it wrong. Now, but what about the Baptists? If the Baptists try to portray God, they're going to get it wrong too. 
none of us can accurately display the glory of God. We, there's nothing in, there's nothing on this earth that can be compared to the glory of God and what it is. And, to, and so we shouldn't be trying to make images. And in that story in Acts 17, what did Paul do? Paul goes to a, a place where there's a, a statement to the unknown God. There was an altar, but there was no image on that. And then he preached about that God, the one with no image. Why? Is it because God has no image? Well, no, but it's not something we can comprehend. It's not something man's going to be able to go and make a figure of and like, here's a good depiction of God. It can't be done. We cannot accurately put a, a picture and an image on the Godhead. It, it can't be done. So it's foolish for us to even try. So that's something that we learn about the Godhead in Acts chapter 17. It means images that come up, that man comes up with are not accurate. And so Paul did not go on in this story to describe something he had not seen, but he did tell these people what they were picturing was wrong. And he did. He focused on the altar with no image. And so we know this isn't because God doesn't have an image. We just don't know what it is. We don't know how to accurately portray it. All our statues, our paintings, our illustrations, they will always come short and this is why things get stupid real fast when we try declaring people a heretic because we don't agree with their illustration. Guess what? You're both wrong. Your illustration's wrong. You, you, can't, you can't do it. And it is, it's okay for us to wonder what it's going to be like. Hey, if you go home tonight and you're like, I wonder what it's going to be like when we see the face of God. It's not wrong for you to think about that. It's not, not wrong for you to wonder that. But let me tell you something. If you get a thought in your mind, or if you have a dream that night, or you have a vision, it's still wrong. And don't go demanding theologians agree with whatever you came up with, because I'm telling you, we, we, we haven't seen it, therefore we're not going to be able to describe it. But at the same time, too, you have people that get mad if you, we talk about seeing the face of God. Or are you claiming He has eye sockets and eyelashes and, you know, hey, I don't know how to describe it, but I do believe I'm going to see the face of God one of these days. You know why? Because Revelation 22.3 says, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his, and his servant shall serve Him, and they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And people, they'll get mad when you say God has a face, but this is where we can go into two equal directions of foolishness. We can either try to pretend we can describe the face of God and comprehend what it will be using earthly terms when the Bible literally told us we can't describe these things. You know, or we will go into feigned words and condemn someone for literally speaking exactly what the Bible says because they're, what they are describing goes against our definition of an extra biblical term. And so the eggheads who act like they know more than the Bible, they like to speak about like the beatific vision is what they call it. That's what that, you know, what is, what is the beatific vision? And basically that's what it's, what's going to happen when we actually see the face of God. When we see God in all his glory, that's what that's known as. It's like, okay, well, I guess if we're making up words then we can make up definitions and stuff too. But here's the thing, I, when I looked up that word, it says, uh, from the Catholic, it says, Pace in the Catholic Encyclopedia defined the beatific vision. It's like, wait a minute. 
you're going to define the beatific vision, meaning what it's going to be like when we see God, when nobody can picture that. Nobody say, how do you define something that God said we can't describe? That doesn't make any sense. But it, it says, the immediate knowledge of God with the angelic spirits and the souls of the just and joy in heaven is called a vision to distinguish it from the mediate knowledge of God, which the human mind may attain in the present life. And since in beholding God face to face, the created intelligence finds perfect happiness and the term is, it's termed beatific. Okay, now listen. So basically what, what the eggheads will try to tell you, it's not so much that you're going to see something because God doesn't have an image and a face and all that. Basically, it's going to be a knowledge that we receive. Okay, well, first off, are you sure? Is that all God is? Knowledge? Information? Or, you know, it, again, either way, we can't describe it. We can't understand it, so can we stop trying to define it? How about we just say we don't know? Brother Tommy, what do you think it's going to be like? I don't know. I bet it's going to be cool. Uh, cool. Let's look at the definition of that. Does that fit with the Bible? I don't know how else to explain it. I'm only using words that I know. I'm only speaking of the things that you know I can understand with my finite mind, but we're talking about something that's infinite. And so you can't beat someone up for going against what supposedly the church or some theologians or the traditions of men have termed the beatific vision. That's just wrong. And so, again, if you thought after this message you were going to have a new and accurate picture in your mind of what the Godhead looks like, hopefully now you've figured out I'm not going to have a good picture in my mind after this. If I put a picture in your mind, it's going to be because I use my words, not God's words. That's why. And so, we want, to, we want to look at what God says about these things. So, from Acts, we see that the Godhead is not like man portrays it. Okay? It's something that can't be described. It's something we can't make an image of. And I think that's one of the reasons God said, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. You know why? Because it's going to send a wrong message about God. That's why it's so bad to make images of God because it always sends a wrong message about who God is because we can't get it right. We can't get it right. It's always going to come short of who He is. So turn over to Romans chapter 1. Let's look at the other use of the term uh, Godhead and see what we can learn from this. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. That's what happens anytime you make an image of God. We turn the uncorruptible into an image that's like that which is corruptible. So... We can't do that. We cannot make images. So in Romans 1, it refers to God's eternal power and Godhead, which is referring to His divinity and who He is. Creation reveals to us that there is a God. Creation reveals that. 
This universe could not have gotten here from nothing. And it takes a high level of not education, but indoctrination to come up with something other than belief in God. That's all there is to it. It's not education. It's indoctrination. So creation also reveals that God is powerful and beyond anything in His creation. You don't just make something like this without having a power that you and I can't comprehend and understand. Okay, We can learn that about God from nature. Just from looking at nature, wow, God is powerful. Our God is incredible. Creation by God reveals too the authority that He has over His creation. Well, if everything came from God, if God is the Creator, if God is the originator of all this, then it just makes sense to say He's in control, He's in charge, He is the authority. Which is why the religion of atheism is so strong. Because the, this, the, re, the, the atheist religion is always some of the biggest promoters of perversion. They are always the biggest defenders of the LGBT and all that. Why? Because it's an anti-God, it's a God-hating religion. It's why it's always full of reprobates. It's not just those who are just ignorant. It's not just those who are fools. There are people that are so dumb, they will literally believe anything. But the reality is, people who identify themselves by their foolishness and unbelief in God are people who in reality just hate who God is. And so they've tried to change who He is. That's what they do. They try to change who He is because they typically like the sins we see in Romans chapter 1. That, that's all there is to it. But the reality is, creation by God reveals His authority. Those who like their sin, those who do not want accountability, those who do not like the thought of judgment, they try to change who God is. They try to change God into something that is contrary to what the Scriptures define. And let me tell you what the Scriptures tell us about God. That first off, Jesus is God and He's coming back to judge the world one of these days. You know why? Because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. All power is given, was given to Him in heaven and in earth in the first century. Jesus Christ is the ruler of this world. And you say, well, it doesn't seem like because look at all this going on. Hey, God has given us a free will and He is going to judge the world for all this. And you know why? Because He is the ruler. Because He is the King of this world. And therefore, man is accountable and a day of reckoning, a day of visitation is going to come and Jesus Christ is going to judge. And that's why this country is in so much trouble. Because Jesus is the King. And look at what they've been doing. They have not been following His Word. So they're in a lot of trouble. But God is where everything came from. Genesis 1.1 says, in the, uh, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. We see in Deuteronomy 6.4, there's only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul and with all thy might. And so while God is everything He claims to be, it's important that we acknowledge He has given us His Word and it is our authority in everything. Psalm 138, verse 2 says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy Word above all thy name. 
and we will always have God's word so we can know all the things that we are supposed to do. Psalms 12, 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. We have to have the word of God so the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God wants us doing right because he want, we, are all, we are also accountable to Him. So, Romans 1, we, all, we see that word Godhead. Now, let's go back to Colossians 2 where we started, the last place where we see the word Godhead used. It, so, it says in verse 6, "...as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ." For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, this right here is where it's all going to come together. Okay? We literally today have people distracting from the truth about Jesus Christ, trying to insert their extra-biblical words that are centered around tradition and philosophy. They are confusing us about God by distracting us away from Jesus Christ. And the Bible could not be more clear when it comes to all things deity, when it comes to God Himself, Jesus Christ is to be the focal point. Jesus Christ is the focal point. Why? For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So when someone says, I want to know more about God, you know what that means? You need to get to know more about Jesus Christ. You need to get to know more about Jesus Christ. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. What did God reveal in John? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you want to know more about God the Father, you know what you need to do? You need to get to know God the Son, Jesus Christ. God the Father has not been revealed to the world, but he ha- God the Son has been revealed to the world. God revealed Himself through Jesus Christ the Son. So who should we be focusing on? That which has been revealed or that which has not been revealed? Obviously, we need to focus on that which has been revealed, Jesus Christ. If you want to know God the Father, you must know Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. So, again, you can't know the Father without knowing Jesus Christ first. We have to go through Jesus Christ. And when you focus on Jesus, people often try to, you know, again, they can't, they can't condemn you with anything in the scriptures. So what they'll do is they'll try to attach a, you know, a word like modalism, of course, you know, which is a word that's not in the Bible. And obviously the stuff associated with that is foolishness. But people try to throw those words out there to intimidate you away from the scriptures and to get you to conform to their traditions. But under, just, just understand, there's no way to get to know God or to ever even experience God without going through Jesus Christ. And so why ignore the visible trying to get a glimpse of the invisible? This is why the Jews are going to miss God because they've missed Jesus Christ. 
This is why the Muslims who try to act like we serve the same God and they try to act like Jehovah God and Allah are the same. Hey, even if it was true and it's not, but even if it was true, it wouldn't matter because they're not going through the sun. You have to go through the Son or you will never experience the Father. You will never, you will never see the Father without seeing the Son first. 1 Timothy 1.17 Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So when God is trying, what God is trying to show us here in the Scripture is that our focus should be on Jesus Christ. Because if we don't have Christ, you don't have God. If you don't see Christ, you will never see God. If we don't see Christ, we will never see His face like we see in Revelation 22. None of these things will ever happen. You will never have that experience. You will never have that knowledge if you don't have Jesus Christ. Let's stop trying to get a hold of what God has not revealed yet and let's just get a hold of what He has revealed. Jesus Christ is the focal point. 1 John 2.22 Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If, and then, uh, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, this is the second John, uh, receive him not in your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. It's all about Christ in the flesh. It's all about, it's all about Him. We have to know Him. You say, well, you know, does that mean it's the exact same thing when you see Christ? You've seen God the Father? No. It's like when you, when you believe on Christ, you receive salvation, right? Spiritually. But we're still waiting for the redemption of our body, which is promised. Okay? And we are. Now are we the sons of God, even though it doth not yet appear what we shall be. And so whenever a person sees Christ or they believe on Christ, they have seen the Father, spiritually speaking, because if you did, if you believed on Christ and you received Christ, then it is a promise that one day you will see the Father as well. But if you do not ever see Christ, you will never see the Father. You will never, you will never have that experience. So God is pointing everything to Jesus Christ. Everything is going to Jesus Christ. He is the focal point, and it is a fool's errand to try to comprehend the eternal, to understand the glory of God in our finite minds. Our eternal God in His eternal Word has told us to believe on the Son. We know His story. We know the story of Jesus Christ. We know how He was born of a virgin, how He was born in Bethlehem. They laid His body in a manger. We know the story of how He was put on a cross and died and rose again three days. We can comprehend what He did in this life as a man. We, you know, he lived and in, you know, he, he died. He rose again. And we need to believe that story. And one day, if, if you put your faith in that, if you put your faith in what Jesus Christ did, one day we will know the eternal God like we are known of him. First Corinthians 13, 9 says, for we know in part and we, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, for now, we're still in this now period, folks. We see through a glass darkly. But then, we're not there yet. But then, face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. So there is a day coming where we will receive another revelation of God. 
It is okay to wonder about that. It's okay to talk about that and maybe even speculate on it a little bit as long as we don't get locked into our speculation and start and, and create a tradition out of it and demand that everyone conform to it because we're probably wrong. We're probably wrong because we can't comprehend God. God gave the world a new revelation of Himself in the first century when Christ came into the world. Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, God who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds, who being in the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So in the meantime, we need to keep our focus on Jesus Christ. Let's not worry about explaining what can't be explained or revealing what has not yet been revealed. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Theologians, they're taking the focus off Christ, going into their traditions. In the prophecy world, everybody's taking the focus off Christ. Want to talk about the Jews, or whether it's church or Israel and all that nonsense. No, it's all about Christ. He is the fulfillment of all these things. We even have when it comes to salvation in a lot of churches today. People are talking more about what are you doing how are you performing rather than how did Jesus perform? And people are even basing their salvation on their own works rather than on the work of Jesus Christ. Folks, it's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. First John 5, 6 says, This is, uh, for this, that he, or, for, for uh, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. We focus more on that one phrase right there than what they are bearing record of. Why don't we talk about what John was talking about? What are the three that are one bearing record of? What are they bearing record of? Let's look. If we, it says, And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which He hath testified of His Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of His Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath seen the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. What are the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit all talking about? The Son. They're bearing record of the Son. They're telling us to believe in the Son. That's what they're talking about. That's what the focus is. That's where, that, that's where, the, that, that's where they're all united. That's where the three are one in talking about the Son, Jesus Christ. So, they're all bearing witness of Him. And we need to only preach what has been revealed about Him in the Word of God, and when Christ returns, we will get a deeper glimpse into the Godhead. But since that time has not come, we probably shouldn't speak of it as if we've experienced it. What's it going to be like when He comes back? Hey, I can tell you a few things. We can talk about Matthew 24. We can talk about, you know, uh, we can talk about Revelation 19. You know, out of His mouth is going to come a sharp two-edged sword. Do you think that means a sword literally is going to come out of his mouth? I mean, how does that work? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how that's going to work it, exactly. You know, and it's like, oh, well, you know, 
you know, do you think that Jesus still has a you know flesh and blood body? You know, because he said Jesus after his resurrection said, "For a spirit hath not flesh and bone." Do you think you know heavenly bodies have? You know what? Are you even sure they have bones? I mean, folks, we don't understand these things. We don't understand how this all works. And we don't need to pretend that we do. Here's what we need to do. Let's learn about Jesus Christ. What does the Bible say about Him? What did He do? What did He command us to do? Let, why don't we focus a little more on what Jesus commanded us to do? Why don't we focus on what He called us to do? And, G, what, and what was Jesus' final commission on earth? He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every, every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Why is he doing that? Because what the world needs is the message of Jesus Christ. It needs to hear about his death, burial, and resurrection, how he made atonement for sins. The world can understand that. The world, the world can understand that. I remember several years ago when there was a controversy over the Godhead. I remember, you know, there were people that were going as far as in their door to door presentations. They're thinking they've got to try to explain all that to people because, you know, everybody's not saved if they don't say it exactly right. And it's just like, Dude, are you really going to try to explain it? You don't... That's dumb. You know what you need to do when you go tell somebody about how to get saved? You need to tell them about Jesus. You don't need to go and give them your testimony. You need to give them the testimony of Jesus Christ. He is the focal point of all things. And don't ever let anyone tell you that if you're saved, that you won't one day have a face-to-face encounter with God. Don't let them do that. It literally says... That we will. It uses those words in the Bible, but also don't ever let anybody try to describe that event that can't be described or understood to you. If you want to know more, then get to know Jesus. Why? Because in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We got a group of charismaniacs out there. They're all about the Holy Spirit. Meaning, they're all about a feeling and speaking in tongues and having experiences. No. Okay. If you want to get to know the Holy Spirit better, get to know Jesus better. Fo- focus on Jesus Christ. You do. You have the people that act, they talk about God and act like they know something about God. But folks, no. Jesus Christ is where we go. And in Revelation 22.3 says, But there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So, Brother Tommy, I need a good theological, accurate definition with a ton of big words to describe that. Otherwise, you're not really educated. You know what? I'm not even going to try. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell people about Jesus so they can be saved. I'm going to try to follow the commandments about, that Jesus gave because I'm going to stand before Jesus one of these days. And when that day comes, when He reveals some things to me, I will know those things then when He wants me to know it. You're not getting this information. And it's okay. It's, it's okay. To, you know, it's, like, it's like kids on Christmas. You know, they want to know what those presents are. You know, and they, they try looking at any clue and things. But you, know, you, you, know, you have those things wrapped for a reason to try to, you know, because it's, it's not meant to be known yet. And it's not fair when you go ripping the presents open and trying to rewrap them or something. That's bad. Okay. Now listen, you are not going to open God's present ahead of time. Okay. If God has concealed it, okay, it's it's childproof. 
all right, you know, as his, as his children. But the time will come when it is revealed. And until then, you know, let's talk about Jesus. Let's try to be like Jesus. Let's keep the focus on Jesus. Let's keep the focus where the Bible put the focus. Let's, put, let's keep the focus where the three that bear record in heaven are keeping the focus. Jesus Christ. He's what it's all about. So with that, let's pray to the Lord. Thank you so much for what you have shown us about you in your word. And Lord, without a doubt, uh, just uh, it's, it's amazing and uh, something that we could study and learn about forever. Uh, what you've already given us. Help us to not try understanding that which has not been revealed, what uh, it's not time for. But help us to keep our focus on, on Jesus Christ. Help us to be like Him. And help us to worry more about following His commandments than uh, just having knowledge to puff us up about things that we're not intended to know yet. In your name we pray. Amen.